Good morning, church. I want to say this morning, uh, man, and I hope you're with me. I love the Bible. I love the Bible. And, you know, can I get an amen? I, I love the Bible. And, and, and I pray that for our church, that that could be one of the heartbeats and heart cries of our church, that we love the Word of God. And, you know, sometimes when I'm learning stuff and, and there's stuff going on that, that the Lord's really speaking to me, I think, man, I wish I could just do like a 12-part sermon for the church, and that would be awesome. And then I realize I have a job that I work 40 to 50 hours a week, and I have four children, and, and I prepare, and I realize how much Pastor Sam does week in and week out to bring us the Word of God. And I say, thank God I don't have to do a 12-part sermon for the church. But... One of the best parts about being uh, an elder in the church who comes up and gets to bring you the Word of God from here to there and not the primary preaching pastor is that I get to take verses and passages from the Bible that God has has gripped me with and that I've been wrestling with for months and months and months and I get to come and preach it to you guys. So that's that's the cool part about not being up here uh, all the time that I love because y'all get y'all get what's been churning in my heart for a long time you know and and so I'm excited about the word of God uh if you want to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 we're going to be in Hebrews 11 and 12 all day today and I think we're going to have uh just the the verses the main verses that we're going to read up on the screen there and uh, I'm going to pray Lord, we, we love you, God. We love your word, God. We believe, Lord, that it is alive and active and sharp, God. We believe that it has the power to, to uh, come into our hearts and make us new and change us and renew us, O oh God. And so, Lord, we just pray for your Holy Spirit right now, God, for it's by your Spirit, Lord God, that we understand your Word. And so, Father, we pray right now that your Holy Spirit would come and, and, and illuminate to us, Lord, the Word of God. Father, you, you, Jesus said, I am the light of the world, that anyone who follows after me will not have to walk in darkness because he will have the light that shows the path to life. And so, Lord, we pray that by Jesus Christ, who lives on the inside of us, by His awesome Holy Spirit, that uh, that You would shine the path of life for us today, Lord. Father God, I pray that we would move out of the darkness into the light today. In Jesus' name, and, and, and it's by the power of Your Word, God. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Well, let's read the text. Uh, I'm going to read from the New Living Translation today, so if you've got on your phone, if you want to switch over to the New Living Translation, um, and, and if, if you don't have that, just follow along, it's, it's pretty close. Uh, so, 12.1, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, 
Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So we're going to start with the main point, the main thrust of this passage. And the main point in the text is that we are to run the race that God has set before us. We're to run. Everything else in the text supports why we should run. And the race is a metaphor for the Christian life, the life of faith. That's what our Christian life is. Christianity is not about checking off boxes. It's not about doing certain things. It's a life of faith. And so that's the race we're called to run. And our race begins when we are born again, and then it continues all the way until we die. So from the time that, that Christ came into your life and changed you and made you new to the time that we pass into eternity, our race continues. Now, in a race, there is a specific starting point and a specific ending point. A certain amount of exertion is required to get from the start to the finish in a manner in which we can win the race. There's a certain amount of pain and discomfort necessary to endure in the race in order to win, right? If anybody's ever done any type of athletics, you know that uh, in order to succeed in a physical activity, there's going to be some pain, right? There's going to be some discomfort, and that's what, that's what we're being told here the race is like. The pain must be endured and pressed through for the sake of winning the prize at the end of the race. If you quit, you don't win. If you stop running, you can't win the race. You have to push through the pain in order to win the race. Now, this is a picture that the writer of Hebrews gives us of the life of faith that we are called to live. So keep that picture in your mind. That's the main point of everything that we're going to talk to, talk about today. So that needs to be in your mind the whole time that we're, that we're talking about this particular text. Now, let me ask you a question, and don't answer out loud. When God looks down on your life of faith, would he say that you are running? That's something that I want to weigh heavy on your heart and on your mind today. Now, this world and the culture that we live in is doing everything that it can to make us happy with just meandering in our race. The world wants you to think, you don't need to run. You just need to, you just need to slow down. It's all about you. It's all about your comfort. Don't run. Don't worry about running. Meander. Meander in the race is what the world tells us. It tells us that we find our joy in pursuing money and stuff and entertainment. But this is not the message of the Word of God. That's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says that we are to pursue God in such a way that He holds a place in our affections above money and above stuff and above entertainment. God is supposed to give us infinitely. Now, I want to emphasize the word infinitely. God is supposed to give us infinitely greater delight than these things. 
And, and I want to tell you guys, just stepping off the notes a little bit, yes, there is some pleasure and happiness in some of the things of the world. But I want to tell you today that if we will lay those things aside and pursue Jesus, there is infinitely more happiness and infinitely more joy and infinitely more pleasure that lasts in this life into the next than anything that this world has to offer. Amen? Okay. So that's how we run the race of faith. It's pursuing Jesus in such a way that we love Him more than we love the things of this world. It's pursuing Him as the highest affection, the highest priority. You know, the Bible doesn't just say that we're to obey God. It says that we are to not, it doesn't suggest this. This is a commandment. Rejoice in the Lord. It commands us to do. And so God is supposed to have a our emotions and our hearts that move us towards obedience happily. That's, that's running the race. So we must ask ourselves, am I running the race of faith in the way that I am winning the race? Or am I meandering things of the I want you to be honest with yourself today. The Lord's speaking to See, we only have one life to live. We only have one race to run. And my exhortation to you today is run. Run your race. So that's the main point. And now that we've seen the main point of the text, uh, I want to look at what the writer gives us for motivations to run. So first is what he calls the huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Hebrews 12.1 starts off with the word, therefore. Are there any English nerds in the house? Anybody? Any English nerds? I'm not. I'm a math nerd. Uh, but if you're an English nerd, or, or maybe just a good reader, uh, or a good student, then you know that whenever there's a therefore... It points back to something that supports what is coming, right? And so since there's a therefore at the beginning of verse 1, we need to look back and see what supports verse 1 uh, because of the therefore. So let's do that because that's what is supporting the verse. Am I out of order here? Yes, chapter 11. So let's turn back to chapter 11. And I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm just going to kind of hit some high points. But what we need to realize is, is that um, chapter 11, because of the therefore, is a support for why we should run. So in this chapter, uh, the writer of Hebrews, he speaks a lot about some of the heroes of the faith. Uh, he speaks about Abel and Enoch, and Noah, and Abraham, and Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and Joseph, and Moses, and Rahab, to name a few. That's most of them that are in the first part of chapter 11. And so what lesson do these witnesses 
teach us? What are they witnessing to us? Um, and that's, that's what we want to look at. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read a couple of key verses in chapter 11, and I want you to see if you can pick up, think, 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 what's the common thread in all these verses, and see if you can pick up what the motivation to run is by these witnesses. Let's start in verse 6. And it is impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Now let's skip down to verse 8. It was by faith that Abraham obeyed when God called him to leave home and go to another land that God would give him as as his inheritance. He went without knowing where he was going, and even when he reached the land God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents, and so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. Abraham was confidently looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. Now let's go down to verse 13. All these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. Obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back, but they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And the last little passage before a little commentary, uh, let's go to verse 24. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. Now, did you see it? Did you see the common thread? What was the motivation of the witnesses? Let me read a couple of things straight from the verses that we just read. That God rewards those who sincerely seek him. That they were looking forward to a city with eternal foundations. That they were looking to a better place, a heavenly homeland, a great reward. You see, we do not give up the pleasures of this life and follow Jesus as a means to deny ourselves. But because we believe that if we do, there is a greater and eternal reward for us on the other side, right? In, in, in the eternal state. That's running. It is laying aside those things that hinder us from pursuing Jesus and loving others 
with a better reward in eternity as a foundational motivation, right? So let's continue in chapter 11, verse 32. And guys, I feel like I'm echoing a lot, maybe. I don't know if you can do anything. Um, Verse 32. How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouth of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back again from the dead. So here in this, in this little paragraph here, we see that there's great victory in the life of faith. Right? Have you ever had victory in your life of faith? But, I want you to notice something in the next paragraph in the following verses. Because we don't want to get the idea that when we run the race that everything always goes well for us, right? And what I want us to see here is that there's also great struggle and great difficulty in the life of faith. Let's start in the second half of verse 35. But others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half, and others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and in holes in the ground. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. And then we reach verse 12. Therefore, run. So so you see, in our race of faith, there will be pain. And there will be loss. And there will be struggle. Yet we are called to run with endurance. You see, endurance is not necessary when the race is easy. Right? If you're sitting in the golf cart, there's no endurance needed. You know, if you're riding along the race, sitting in the golf cart. But if you're running, if you're running in the race, It requires endurance. And and let me tell you something. You can't win the race in the golf cart. You've got to run. So we are in need of endurance when the race becomes difficult to run. Yet God beckons us today to run. He calls us. He beckons us. He exhorts us today to run. So this great crowd of witnesses are testifying to us today. You know, they're showing us the scars on their bodies and testifying of how they forsook this world 
for a better and a lasting reward. They're looking at you today from the Word of God and they're saying, I did it. I ran the race. Look, look at the scars on my, on my body, on my back for the Lord. Look at, look at my testimony in the Word of God. I did it. I ran. I laid down the things of this life in order to obtain the next. And you can too. You can do it. Because God is no respecter of people. What God, you know, the Bible says that, that when Elijah prayed, it didn't rain for, for something like 40 days. And it said, but you know what? Elijah was a normal person just like you. And if they can do it, they testify, if I can do it, so can you. You can run like the stories that you read in the Bible because it's not my might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. And that we, that we take this Word that is living and alive and we put it on the inside of us and we run. And they witness to that. They testify that, that the things that, that, that we look and we, and we put these people on a pedestal in the Bible, but the only true hero in the Bible is Jesus Christ and He lives inside of you. And you can run. So that's the testimony. Therefore, brings us back to our verse. So our first motivation in the life of faith are the witnesses who have lived the life of faith before us. We look back to them and we see their lives and they witness to us to God's power in normal people just like me and you. Now before we look at the second motivation, I want to look at two practical applications for how we run the race. So let's read, we're back to verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1. Let's read it again. Therefore, pointing back to 11, therefore since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, now here they are, let us strip off every weight that slows us down especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Where's my water? There it is. There are things in our lives that need to be laid aside or laid down in order to run the life of faith. Run that race of faith. These things will hinder us from running the race with any purpose at all. They will cause us to meander through life, and before we know it, we will have lived a life that is wasted and meaningless in the scope of eternity. The writer tells us that this especially applies to sin. Now, look what sin does. Here, right from the verse, it says it trips us up in the race of faith. So what does that mean? Here's a couple of thoughts. It means that it causes us to live for vain, vain things instead of eternal things. It causes us to miss the mark of making an eternal difference and legacy and to live for what ultimately is destructive to our souls. 
Let's turn to Romans. Well, if you want, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. I'm going to read a couple of passages. Uh, and uh, if you want, you could just jot down. Uh, first, we're going to start with Romans 8, verse 12. And I've got them here in my notes, so I'll just read them from there. Verse 12 of chapter 8 of Romans. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, Romans chapter 6, verse 10 through 13. When He, speaking of Jesus, when He died, He died once to break the power of sin. But now that He lives, He lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ Jesus. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you were dead, but now you have new life. So use your whole body as an instrument to do what is right for the glory of God. Now I want you to see a few things from these two passages that point us to how we lay aside sin for the sake of the race. A couple of things. We are no longer enslaved to sin. We are able in our born-again life to say no to sin. Sin always brings death and destruction. Always. There's no exceptions to this. The wages of sin, the end result of sin is death. It is always going to wreck your life. Always. It's not worth it. In the power of the Spirit, we are to put sin to death. And putting sin to death in our lives will bring life. To bring life on the inside of you. So how do we kill sin? We kill sin by making no room for it in our life. We make absolutely, positively no room for it in our lives. What does that mean? It doesn't mean, well, screwed up there. Hope it doesn't happen again. Here we go. That's not, that's not how we kill sin. Your conscience convicting you is not you killing sin. You know, there's, there's more that we need to do. We, we take radical steps to kill sin, like accountability with others. We do things like literally fleeing from situations that, that trip us up and tempt us and never coming back. We run away. That's okay. We pray fervently in the Spirit for strength because it's by the Holy Spirit that we put sin to death. Now listen, I love this passage. Sometimes 
we've read Jesus so much that we just think, oh yeah, Jesus said that, I've heard that. But, but we need to sometimes slow down and really look at the simply awesome and glorious words of Jesus. And I say simply awesome because when you just look at them, they're very simple words. Uh, especially if you read Jesus as compared to like the Apostle Paul. Jesus' teachings just seem kind of simple when you read them at a high level. But when you, when you really look at them and the Holy Spirit uh, begins to illuminate the words of Christ, they are simply glorious and awesome. And, and one, of the, one of the verses that I just I go, whoa, he said that. Um, Jesus said, if our eye causes us to sin, then we should pluck it out and live with one eye because it's better to have one eye than go to hell with both eyes. Whoa! <laughs> you know? And so, listen, hear me. Christ taught in stories and parables and metaphors a lot. You know, not to say that we think, oh, Jesus, metaphor. He's just a st-. I'm not saying that, but what I'm saying is, is that we got to realize what Christ is saying. He's not saying that we literally pluck out our eye, right? Because you can still sin with your other eye, right? But what he's saying is, is that we got to get radical about killing sin. He's saying, I'll give you an example. Here's, here's, here's an example that just popped in my head. If your computer causes you to sin, throw it in the garbage. If your television causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. If a friendship causes you to sin, cut that person off in your life for the sake of Christ. Get radical about killing sin in your life. In our life. I don't want to preach it, you guys. Let's, let's get radical about killing sin in our lives. So we see in, in, the, in the text here that, that sin especially must be stripped off in order to run the race of faith. Yet there's more to see in this text about what must be stripped off in order to run the race. Let me, let's read it again. Let's read the first sentence here. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, now listen closely, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. So, if we read it carefully, and if we really look at what the verse says, we see that there is more to lay down than just sin in order to run the race well. Do you see it? Do you see the first clause in the sentence? It would be the middle clause, I guess, in the sentence. Not only does the writer call for us to especially strip off sin, but he also calls us to strip off or cast aside or remove from our lives every weight that slows us down. So there's a, there's a distinction there, right? Why does he make that distinction? Why does he say, hey, you absolutely need to kill sin in your life in order to run well, but you need to strip off everything that slows you down. I'm going to read this twice. I have in my notes. Repeat this. Because this is huge. This is paradigm shifting. 
And I want you to get this. The reason is that there are things in our lives that are not explicitly sin, but which slow us down in the race of faith. I read it again. There are things in our lives that are not explicitly sin, but which slow us down in the race of faith. See, God is calling us to kill sin in our lives, yes. But also, to strip away anything that does not increase our love, affection, and service to Him. Now there's, there's something that, that I've seen, there's something that I have done uh, as a believer. But far too many Christians ask the wrong question about what we should allow in our lives. This is, this is kind of the form of the question whenever something controversial or that potentially slows us down comes in our lives. We say, well, is it okay? Is it okay to do that? I think it's okay. I don't think the Bible says explicitly not to do it. Is it okay? We ask if it is explicitly sin. What we need to ask is, does this help me or hinder me in my race of faith? That's the question. Does this help me? Or does this hinder me in my race of faith? Does it make me love Christ more or less? When I've spent an hour doing this activity or being around this person, do I love Jesus more than I did at the beginning of the hour? Or less than I did at the beginning of the hour? That's the question that we need to ask if we're serious about running, right? We're to be busy in our lives doing those things that make us fall more in love with Jesus. And we are to strip off those things that cause us to be less alert or sober towards Christ and His Spirit's presence in our lives. That's what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. That's what they did. That's what great men of the faith that we look at and we think, man, I could never be like them when really they're just a normal person who takes away those things that slow them down and make them love Jesus less and finds things and fills their lives with things that make them love Jesus more. And they run. So here's the question. What in our lives do we need to strip away that is making us less focused and submissive to and in love with Jesus? What in our lives slow us down in our race? I want to go back to the world. We are bombarded every day by the world that tells us, quote, make yourself comfortable. Meander in life for your pleasure. Do what everybody else is doing. You deserve it. It's about you. This life's about you. You need to be comfortable. 
That's what the world bombards us with every single day. But Christ is imploring us today to run. He's saying, don't listen to that. Run! I have, I have a great reward waiting for you in heaven. I died to purchase your salvation. Don't waste it with meandering. Run. Run the race. Use my blood. Use my Spirit that I gave you to run. So today, if you don't get anything from what I've said, if you've been tuned out the whole time, please tune in for a second. Because um, I want you to get this. Because this is where God changed my life with this Word. And He has. He's changed my life with this Word. Don't drift into this afternoon. Don't leave this church and drift into the afternoon with no intention towards your race. Sit down somewhere quiet today. It's weird. It's weird, right? Go somewhere quiet where there's nothing going on. Leave your phone in the kitchen and, and, and tell, your, tell your spouse if you have kids, hey, I need 30 minutes. I need an hour. Where are you going? I'm going in the closet. That's where I go to, for quiet. I have my computer and a desk in my closet. <laughs> when you have four children, there's, there's not anywhere to put anybody. Uh, so I go in the closet. It's actually kind of nice. Sit down somewhere quiet today and ask God to show you by His Spirit what needs to be stripped from your life in order to run the race. Now let me tell you something. The devil... He's going to do everything He can today to get you to just meander out of this place and forget what I just said. The Bible says that that's the seed sometimes it falls on stony ground and, and um, the enemy will come and, and will snatch it away so that it takes no root in our hearts. Listen to me. Please, 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 please. I'm telling you, this changed my life. My wife can testify to it. My life recently has changed because of this Word. And just go somewhere quiet. Take 30 minutes and ask the Holy Spirit to show you. And, and I never thought about this. This wasn't in my notes, but this is a good question to ask. Something pops up into your head. When I do that for an hour, do I love Jesus more or less after that hour's over? That's a great question to ask. That's a great way to see what needs to be stripped away from your life. Could be television, or food, or alcohol, or drugs. Could be Facebook. Could be a million things. But when in your quiet place, as the Spirit brings things into your heart, just ask yourself and be honest, when I do that for an hour, do I love Jesus more or less when I'm done? Take time and let the Spirit lead you. And when He tells you something to strip away, pray for grace. We don't have it in us, do we? 
We don't have it in us to change like that. But I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit, He lives in you. He lives in you if you're a believer. He's inside of you and He has power. You just got to submit to Him. Pray for grace and obey to obey. Write it down. Write down what God speaks to you. Write it down on a piece of paper. Write it down on your phone somewhere. Put a reminder in your phone uh, twice a day, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock. God told you to lay that down. God told you to strip that away. You know, whatever sound you want it to make. Tell a Christian friend. Say, hey, God spoke to me today in church. And, and the Holy Spirit's telling me that I need to strip this away from my life. I need your help. I need you, I need you to call me every day and, and say, hey, Josh, how you doing with what we talked about the other day? Are you sure? Are you sure? We need people like that in our lives. Be like Jesus said. Get radical. Get radical about stripping these things away from your life. And then you know what we do? We run. We run the race having stripped off these weights. Now, the text next compels us to ask, from where do we get the strength to lay down the things of this world in order to pursue eternal things? Where do we get the strength to run the race of faith with endurance? Let's read verse 2. And man, he just spells it out for us. He says, we do this. What do we do? We run. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting Him, He endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now He is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. So where do we find our strength? We find it by keeping our eyes on Jesus. When we rely on television or alcohol or food or whatever it might be to find our satisfaction, it takes our eyes off of Jesus. And we stop running. We stop. We get in the golf cart. And we put our feet up. And we stop running. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, we run with endurance. I want you to look. Look in the verse here. Look at how Christ ran the race of faith while being hated and despised and tortured and crucified. Probably the worst death that you can experience in all of human history. While he was being, and, and not only that, add on top of that, that he is the Lord of all the universe, the one to whom every knee should bow, the one to whom everyone should, should owe everything that they are. And these men were spitting on him and humiliating him and degrading him below uh, being a human. 
The Bible says that, that when they looked on Him, you couldn't even tell that He was a human because of the way that He was degraded. And I want you to look at how He ran through that. He looked beyond His suffering to the glory that all who believe in Him will have in the eternal state and to the glory that He and the Father would receive for redeeming a special people to themselves. He looked past the moment to the glory. Now this is the same thing that the witnesses did, right? They weren't looking at their current state. They were looking to the great reward, to the eternal homeland, to the eternal city built by God, right? It's the same. It's the same means of endurance that the crowd of witnesses in chapter 11 use. And as we suffer trials and troubles in this life while following Jesus, we endure by trusting in the promises of the Bible that we will inherit glory in eternity. We will. And if all I'm thinking about is post on Facebook, then I'm going to fall on my face when I try to run. If all I think about is football all the time, then whenever eternal things pop up in my life and I have to endure, I'm going to fall on my face and I'm not going to be able to run. And I'm not saying never look at Facebook or never watch football because I do both of those things. But what I'm saying is, is that, that, that whenever we are so consumed with the things of this life that we don't ever think about heaven or Jesus, when it's time to run, we'll have no endurance. Fall. We won't run. So this is what I want to encourage you to do. I want to encourage you to search your Bible for Scripture that talks about the new heavens and the, and the new earth and the rewards of eternity and how we will know God face to face. It's all over the Bible. In fact, you could Google Scripture that talks about eternal rewards and boom, there they are. They give you like 30 verses. Write down Scripture about the person in the work of Jesus. Because this is how we keep our eyes on Him and how we know Him and how we fall in love with Him. Right? We do this by looking to Him in Scripture. That's the picture of Christ that we have. We look to Him in, in the Word of God. Don't let anybody fool you. It all starts right here. It's not by some religious reading, but it's by the Spirit of God day by day illuminating the Word of God where we see Jesus, where we know Jesus, where He becomes a friend of ours, but not only a friend, our Master and our Lord whom we willingly submit ourselves to. Not out of some begrudging submission, but because it's the, the delight and the joy of our heart. That's where God wants to bring us. And as we meditate on these Scriptures, they will shake us. 
from meandering to running. How am I doing on time? Oh, not good. Okay, I'm not going to take my little side. I guess I'll just give you two, a couple of scriptures. I won't read them. Um, start here. Psalm 1, 1 through 2. John 6, 35. And 2 Corinthians 4, 14 through 18. One more time. Psalm 1, 1 through 2. 2 Corinthians 4, 14 through 18. John 6, 35. Start there. Great pictures of eternity, Christ, and what happens when you begin to meditate on the Word of God. Lastly, when we strip off the things that slow us in the race, what should, fill our, what, what should we fill our lives with, right? Because, you know, the Bible gives a story. Jesus gives a story. He talks about how this man, a demon was cast out of him, and, and when, the, when the demon came back, he found the man empty like a clean house. And it says he brought all of his demon friends and he was worse off than he was before. And the point of the story is, is that whenever we take something bad out, we need to replace it with something good, something God-centered, something Christ-centered. So what do we fill our lives with when we do that? So the Spirit shows you what to strip off. You strip it out of your life. You lay it down. What do I put in its place? Now, I'll be honest with you, this was hard for me. This was hard for me whenever I was thinking about it and, and weighing out how I was going to enact this in my life. And I asked one of my closest friends, listen, you guys, you need a friend that you can talk about accountability and the Word of God. You need people like that in your life. It's helped me tremendously. So I was, I was talking to my, my best friend, and I asked him uh, what he thought and he suggested that, that I look to Jesus. What, what is, what, let's take Jesus' life as a, uh, as, a, as a template. Look to Him. He's our, he's our model. He's the champion of our faith. He's the one we follow. And so thinking out loud, I said, well, He, he knew the Word, so for me, that's, that's reading the Word, memorizing the Word, meditating on the Word. And He prayed a lot, right? Jesus prayed a lot. And I thought to myself, gosh, you know, I've got a job and I've got kids and uh, I'm married and, you know, I've got these things that I do at the church. I'm like, it's not practical for me to be praying and reading all day. That just doesn't work. And so we kind of we kind of talked it through. And then it hit me. That's not all Jesus did. In between being in the word. And in between times of prayer, Jesus made room in His life for people. Made room for people. He opened up His life to relationship. And you know, our propensity in, in our culture today is, I'll just use church as an example, our propensity is, I'm going to get in, I'm going to get out, I don't want to talk to anybody. Uh, boom, I went to church. Uh, oh, ladies' Christmas party, not going to do that. No way. You know, don't want to have to interact with people. Man, church, what? No way, man. I, what if it's quiet for like 30 seconds? That'll be weird. What if somebody says something that hurts my feelings? Or somebody says something that hurts my feelings. I'm not going there anymore. 
listen to me. We got to make room for people in our lives. If we're going to run, we got to make room for people in our lives. It starts with the people in your family, right? We make room for our kids and our spouses and our brothers and our sisters and our friends, right? We, 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 we start, but it works in concentric circles out. And I want to tell you guys something, and this is going to be a hard word for some of you, but if all you do is come to church on Sunday morning, then, then you're, you're not really getting out of church what God wants you to have. Because it's about people. It's not about the primary, the primary purpose of this church is not for you to come and, and to sit and listen to a sermon once a week. And it's not for you to come and, and sing songs once a week. The purpose of the church is for us to come together as a family, as a body, and build one another up. And if, if you're missing out on the people part, then you're just getting a very small part of what the church has for you. That's not in my notes, but that's from the Spirit of God. Jesus went out of His way to be around others. Went out of His way. You remember when He was going to Jerusalem and He said, I must go through Samaria. He didn't have to go through Samaria. He went out of His way because He had an appointment with the woman at the well. Christ made room for people. And while He was with them, He poured out all that the Spirit had given Him in His times of prayer in the Word. We don't just get to get. We get to give. Jesus said it's better to give than it is to receive. And you receive, you're receiving this Word right now. Because God wants to change your heart in such a way that you can pour into other people. And you need people to run. You're not going to run the race if your life has no connection to people. Other people who are striving to run the race with you. That's what the church is for. So, here's my exhortation to you today. Number one, can anybody guess? Run. Run the race. How do we do that? We pray the Spirit to show us what things are slowing us down so that we can strip them off. You're going to do that today. You're not going to meander into the afternoon. You're not going to let the devil come and snatch the Word. You're going to go into the closet and you're going to pray for the Holy Spirit to speak something to you today that you need to strip away from your life so that you can run well. I believe that for, for some, if not all of you. I'm, let's have faith for all of us. We especially kill sin in our lives by making no room for it. We get radical about eliminating sin in our lives then we fill those voids with the Word of God and with prayer and giving of ourselves, our time, and all that God fills us with to other people. We stand up and let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word, God.
We thank You, God, that it is alive and powerful, God, that, that Father, it's only by Your Word that, that we are changed, that we are made like You, God. And Father, I just thank You for the work that You're doing in people's hearts, Lord God. I pray that this passage of Scripture would grip our hearts as a church. I pray that it would penetrate to the deep parts of us, O oh God. Lord, I pray that You would reveal by Your Holy Spirit, Lord, those things that we need to strip away in order to run. God, help us to be honest with ourselves, Lord. Help us to realize, God, that, that whatever it is that, that we might lay down, no matter, no matter how much temporary pleasure it may bring us, Lord, that there is infinitely more in You, O oh God. Your Word says it, God, but we just need faith to believe it. God, give us faith. Give us faith to believe, O oh God. And Lord, I pray that by the power of Your Holy Spirit that we would be moved to action, God. That we would be moved to do something. To do what Your Holy Spirit tells us to do. We thank You for grace, Lord. And it's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.